नमस्ते इट इज ए प्रोलॉन्ग्ड सीजन ऑफ वार इफ आई मे से सो दैट हैज ग्रिप द अर्थ एंड ऑलमोस्ट इनवेरिएबली वेन वी लुक एट दिस्ट्री लॉन्ग हिस्ट्री ऑफ मैन काइंड एंड इट्स कनेक्शन विद वार वी सी दैट वार्स दो नो डाउट दे they create lot of upsetting disorder uh, death suffering but they also clear the passage many wars are like that for instance the war of uh, kurukshetra shubindo says that saved india uh, war of kalinga which is the goriest war one has ever seen Uh, heard of i think it was the war where maximum loss of lives have been reported 150000 at least if i remember correctly and yet it marked a great transition not only in the life of emperor ashoka but in the life of the history of india so <clears throat> wars no doubt they are very painful suffering is there but this pain and suffering is often like the labor pains of a new world and shurbindo has spoken about it he has said in one of his prophetic poems in the moonlight he says that um, there is a convulsion which will grip the nations and when that has passed earth shall be cleansed and raise a fairer brow so last century of course we have seen the worst i don't think that one can ever touch even closer to that the two great wars people speak about the third world war but that is uh, near impossibility for various reasons and we need not go into that the reasons are both spiritual occult uh, spiritual reason is of course with the supramental presence it's something very formidable people are not aware but it can use anything and everything to hasten the march of mankind towards the divinization of matter so uh, many are not even aware of that there are occult reasons there are many other reasons not that humanity will not go to the brink it will go to the brink and come back then wars have been fought for various reasons people often say all wars are bad but uh, that's too much of an overstatement and over generalization because wars have been fought on one side for uh, as they say in hindi jar joru zameen meaning thereby for uh, property jar the those things which you can loot and plunder and for women for 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 a woman we see that in the trojan war a war which was fought for one face that um, moved a thousand ships across the aegean sea uh, also we may say that draupadi in indian thought sita uh, so it's not that for getting a woman not necessarily that but when a woman has been insulted when a woman has been mistreated sometimes the fury of nature is too strong to resist people don't realize it they use these things very casually but wherever you disrespect a woman dishonor a woman even disrobe a woman if you look at the mahabharata war uh, the furies attack the forces that uh, uh, that look after the affairs of the world they do attack we can't then say that everything is same and all is equal and then it is also for uh, property for land for expansionism for expanding the borders but wars have also been fought for 
spreading an ideology by force. So we know all these wars have been there, but equally wars have been there in just defense, for the sake of justice, for honor, for chivalry, for defending the righteous cause, for championing for what is true and beautiful. So not war, war is not always bad, but war has sides. On one side we have uh, uh, something which will open the way towards the future and another side which takes us back into very primitive times. Primitive times in war we had loot, plunder, even slavery and all kinds of things. So wars always invariably we see two kinds of forces. Uh, in, in Indian thought it's represented as Deva, Sur, Sangram the gods and we have those invocations of the great gods and goddesses for instance the Indian army which is basically an army meant for defending it, it never enters into other territory to expand what happened in Bangladesh was because they sought for freedom and India never took hold of Bangladesh known that it immediately withdrew, withdrew its troops it never entered and uh, conquered and started ruling um, looted the resources so it's it's a very different thing altogether unlike what happened in 1947 when Pakistan took a territory and just sits over it or China takes a territory and sits over it India it's not the same thing like today also we see that the Jews they are fighting for one cause and uh, on the other side there are people for so called another cause but there are behind all these there are forces which Either are forces which will help mankind to move towards a higher ideal, moved by a higher ideal. And there are forces which gravitate mankind, take it many, many hundreds of years, if not thousands of years backwards. In the context of the Arab-Israel war, people often ask whether this is going to be the beginning of Third World War. No, and an emphatic no. Because uh, while it is important, but both from the geographical point of view and geopolitical point of view and the current world state, this cannot, it does not have the potential. It will try everything, but it won't have the potential to take us to a third world war state scenario. Uh, <clears throat> one reason is that the forces that support uh, right now, the Israel, uh, if they really jump into play, all the forces, it will be formidable. And it's, it's, it will be very foolish, the foolish things are known, that the Arab world will try to, uh, also economics is such, there is a lot of money at stake and one has to be outrightly foolish to um, put all that at, uh, at stake and you know enter into all out war. All out wars nowadays is very very difficult. So this is not the war but there will be a war which will be like a final war, all uh, places speak about it, all the scriptures, they speak about the Armageddon and they speak about, you know, one day when the battle of the final battle of the worlds will be fought. And the mother has said that it will be fought in India. She has not said in so many words. The disciples said and she saw it and she remained silent as if in silent approval, nodding her that in assent. So, what is meant by the final war will be fought in India? Well, that war will not be India versus another country, that kind of wars, those wars cannot be a definitive final war. That is not the field in which the definitive final war is fought. The definitive final war has to be fought within a group of humanity. It has to be an inner war. 
and only India is equipped to take that challenge. And it will be a war within India, not a civil war, but a war between two kinds of possibilities through which India can move. One possibility could be where India moves along the lines uh, which is contrary to her own dharma. And if it moves and goes the way of the West, uh, nothing wrong with West. West is wonderful for West. But it does not mean that it is equally good for East, <laughs> So, especially for India. So if India moves along the lines of her own great civilizational values, the Sanatan Dharma, then we will see it has an impact upon the whole world. It's like a cascading effect. And if it does not, if it moves the other way and follows the same uh, pattern of the left liberal thought and which is circulating all around, then it would be the whole world, uh, the one light which could really govern mankind, it goes into the background. And that would mean that the entire world starts slowly degenerating towards, there will be a progressive decline and a pralaya. But let us uh, hope and wish and pray and have the certitude that it will not be so. And the reason is very simple. The reason is that um, the mother has said so, (laughs) one reason. (laughs) And the second reason, because divine has sacrificed himself in matter. This is something we don't understand very often. So, for instance, the sacrifice of Christ. This sacrifice humanized Europe, as Shurabindu says. Then again, when we see that Sri Krishna taking a human birth or Rama taking a human body, the avatar. When the avatar comes, there is the sacrifice of the divine in matter. So, it prepares matter for something much greater and higher. It opens the path by the very fact of his divine presence. That's how the mother, when she saw Shirvindo, she says, He whom we saw yesterday is here upon earth. So, this time again, because of this divine sacrifice, accepting failure and defeat, he has cleared the passage for mankind. So, there is this uh, poem. I wish to read two poems. The first one is In the Battle. So, this is the battle which is taking place inside. There have to be some some human beings, maybe handful, who engage in this inner battle. In a certain sense, all spiritual life is a battle. Because spiritual life is to advance beyond the norm and the forms within which human beings live. So what we call as natural, live naturally. So well, living naturally is to be at the mercy of nature. It's not about being good or bad. But the moment you take to a spiritual life, it's going beyond the limits of nature. And the moment you try to go beyond the limits of nature, which is a very strong human impulse, it takes two courses. One is the titanic course, where the titan also tries to go beyond the limits of nature. The asura is formidable, powerful. And the other is the godlike course, which is through yoga, where one transcends the mind. And for that, all that opposes in the way has to be uh, acknowledged, tackled, conquered, mastered, dissolved, transformed, call it whatever. So this is the inner war. And in this inner war, um, it's not easy of course, because the moment we go within, when we are living outside, we live in a small little, uh, what shall I say, uh, bag or box. So we are aware of my little nature. And we struggle with that nature. Oh, I get angry, so I struggle with my anger. Oh, I I am very greedy, I struggle with my greed. I am afraid, I struggle with my fear. Uh, Fair enough, one should win those little victories. Mother speaks of that. But a 
moment comes when the yogi opens into the cosmic consciousness. Now it is not only his greed, his anger, his fear, because there is no more his nature. He enters into a wide field of universal nature. So the battle takes a much more, on a much more wider scale, where he has to struggle and fight and conquer for the world those forces which are circulating. And if he conquers, it has an impact upon the world. In the process, he may even fail and fall. And yet he has opened the way. This is the great mystery of some of these great sacrifices, uh, well known in mystic literature. For instance, um, you know, I'm forgetting the name of the, uh, was it Sharmat who was beheaded, or Guru Tegh Bahadru, uh, the Sikh Guru. And we know that after he was tortured, his children were tortured and killed. Uh, his son, uh, Guru Gobind Singh, opened the doors and opened the way for uh, the fall of the entire Mughal Empire. So we know that uh, there is one instance which is very well documented. So there are sacrifices where somebody is failure and fall. Some, not just someone. Someone who is uh, so mighty and great inwardly. When such a person suddenly falls, the entire cosmic forces wonder what has happened. How could this happen? So these are the events we see in Ramayana also, these turning points when the Nagpash comes and the Shakti is there. That Shakti spells the doom of uh, Meghna. Though it is described outwardly as there is a planning which goes in and you know, Lakshman goes with Hanuman and they destroy his Yagya. But it was clear that the moment he used the Shakti on Lakshman, it was a misuse of Shakti for Adharma. And that Shakti hits back upon him and he himself dies. So this is how these there are sometimes these falls, failures momentarily, which make the Asura feel that he has succeeded, which actually lead to an eventual destruction. We see that even in the Chandi part, we read about Shumbh Nashumbh. They seem to be winning and suddenly there comes a moment when they are slain by Kali. So... <clears throat> Here is this poem in the battle. Often in the slow ages wide retreat on life's long bridge through time's enormous sea. Life is a bridge between the past and the future. What a wonderful way to look at it. There are old ways of life and it has slowly crawled or flown or jumped or run across abyss, across chasms of time and has arrived where it is. How beautiful. How Why it becomes a bridge? By an unfolding. It unfolds new possibilities. I have accepted death and bone defeat if by my fall some gain were clutched for thee. So, slow ages... Wide retreat. When we look at this, of course, Shirobindo's own poem, and we see that in two instances of Shirobindo's life. One, the past, when he, uh, you know, the son of Priam, King Priam, as Paris. Uh, well, the Trojan War, they lost, and they were wonderful people, and they were very mighty, and highly noble, cultured, very unlike this entire group of <laughs> the Greeks. That time they were not Greeks tribes who came together and Troy fell not because they had done some papa and you know Helen had to be conquered back she became an occasion to demolish an entire empire 
And Shubhendra says the reason was very simple because that wide, wonderful culture which was held within the ramparts of Troy, that had to diffuse into the entire Greece. So that's when he speaks about the Hellenic culture that came into existence, the love for beauties and many instincts, warring instincts have to be exhausted. So we see that there is the fall of Troy, but in a sense, there is also the victory because the culture it embodied spreads. We see that in India also. That on one hand, India fell first to the Mughals and yet uh, Sufism, people speak about it being born in Persia and Iran, whatever it be, it flourished in Kashmir. And even till to, even today, if any place where it is still accepted, it is India. And we see the Britishers, when they came, they looted, plundered, but they also went back with Vedanta and the Bhagavad Gita. So sometimes the divine accepts these states because it helps in humanity in general to march forward. What was India's loss for a few centuries? What was the world's gain? So also we see that this time when Shirobindo's uh, uh, advent, that how toward the end of what we may call as his earthly existence, he withdraws and renounces the realization in his own body so that the supramental force can diffuse into the whole earth and then it manifests from within uh, subsequently in, on 29th February 1956. So all these are occult events uh, with great spiritual significance which we do not see because we see only the outer notations. For instance, we read a letter. Uh, we don't see uh, the computer where it has been typed. We don't see the fingers that have typed it. We don't see the mind that conceived it. We just read the last bit and we, okay, this order which has come from somewhere. But what all has gone behind so similarly, we don't see many of these events which take place behind the scene. To this world's inconscient power, thou hast given the right to oppose the shining passage of my soul. She levies on each step the tax of night. Doom, her unjust accountant, keeps the role. This is true of every soul that wants to break free from the realm of the inconscient uh, realm of the inconscient extent in on the body is completely under its control but also in most human beings life and also the mind see even now such despair pessimism people look at the world and say oh nothing there is no hope for this world this is, means the inconscient has finally uh, managed to do its work its work is what we see in savitri in the debate between love and death its work is to take away hope to take away faith, to slay even discerning reason and thereby to make humanity gravitate towards uh, more and more falsehood. Uh, because, you know, many people after that, they say, there is no God in this world, we should just do whatever we feel like, we should look after our own petty inter interests. That's exactly what these uh, fellows want. And uh, much of humanity is swayed by them. And the moment one tries to free oneself, that's when the battle begins. So many people don't experience such battles in life. And they say, what is, what is this battle and difficulties you people speak about? You are living in an ashram in a very nice... Uh, they don't know. This is not ashram for retirement in peace. Uh, 
that kind of peace is taken away to begin with because we are being prepared for another kind of peace this peace that men value nice bungalow in a very good posh posh locality and lovely surroundings that is not peace <laughs> that is tandra <laughs> that's a peace where you see that i have seen that effect you know when you go to such places you feel very nice and maybe for a day or two day you can sit in meditation but the whole atmosphere does not encourage you and if you go to a kind of city life where such everything is there like in i had this experience in singapore that's a dead place there's no soul aspiration just can't and you come to pondicherry and just sit uh, across the sea and you automatically it starts so because uh, they are different bhumis with their own so people come with that idea that they are going to get peace well it's not the place for that kind of peace but for a peace which is very dynamic and which is full of ananda but to the distance between this peace which we call as peace which is the dead man's peace and that peace which is the peace of shiva the peace of the infinite the peace of the eternal that distance is bridged through battle because these forces do not want us to reach there so there is a battle and in that battle all kinds of things happen but eventually through all this we move forward but here shirbindo is speaking of that that this right has been given to inconscient why this right has been given to inconscient why should it not be that you know you want to do yoga and all is beautiful because where are you going to reach you are going to meet the glory of glories and uh, if you cannot see in the darkness you cannot set your eyes on the sun this is the whole catch that uh, if we reach there and we are we have not gone through that hard preparation then we won't even be able to see what is there it'll all be blank so that's why this struggle and the battle this tax how much can you give you see that story of king harishchandra at the end that last bit of cloth on his wife's body he has to take why because he wants to lead a life of truth for him nothing else matters but truth and truthfulness then the great gods appear and Uh, you know they say yes and because this is the tax of the night you want the highest okay what can you sacrifice so initially you say okay this i will give that i'll give then finally it says no this is not enough you want the highest everything <laughs> but there are two ways of sacrificing everything one is that we do it painfully and the other is beautifully the beautiful way there is a passage in adoration of the divine mother we all are aware how does it end it ends in this way all aims in her were lost then found in her that is a beautiful way of a joyous self giving so that nothing else is there which we can claim as ourselves that's why shobindra and the mother speak of the sunlit path then she fights our battle she pays the tax and everything but the other way is when we don't have that surrender and aspiration we want to do it by ourselves there are people who don't want to surrender why because it hurts the ego i must do something strong individuality fine divine does not stop but the tax of the night 
is tremendous and terrible. Shabindo speaks of it as law of the way. Heaven, hell will vomit its hordes. And when you think that you have conquered with great difficulty, then another thousands will spring up against you. Heaven will lure you and you will meet it with its cold and pitiless denials. So he says that you think that the Divine Mother will be with you. He says, yes, she is there. But she too can seem cold and impersonal. And then at the end he gives the logic. He says, Nay, but then you do you think that the cup of immortality is for the weak? And the crown can be given without being ready to pay the price? Na yamatma balhine namedhana bahuna shutin. This self is not to be won by the weak. He says that, do you really believe that? And then he says, strive rightly and you will have. That's for sure. But the dread law of the way is there. Of course, the Divine Mother understands us. She has made it very easy. She wants it to become easy. So, Shurabindo paid the tax on our, our behalf. But just like, And that's what is the meaning of Christ paid for the sins of humanity at, at that point of time. So those who have faith, truly a living faith, they get redeemed in the sense that it is true. Same thing Sri Krishna says. Sri Krishna says it in another way. Sri Krishna doesn't say that with my blood I have washed the sins. Sri Krishna puts it in another way. He says, Sarva dharman parityaja mamekam sharnam raja aham tva sarva pape bhyo mokshi shami masucha. What does it mean? Take refuge in me alone. Think of me, man mana bhav mad bhakta. Then what happens? I will take your burden of sin and fear and suffering onto myself. It's just the same. All avatars say the same thing. And Shurabindo turned to the mother, open to her. And that's why in 1947, the mother says that he was calling the supermind, but it was not coming down. It would come to him, but not for the earth. Earth was not ready. And she says that, there in Nirodha's 12 years with Sri Aurobindo, he did not blame human beings. He went into their consciousness, into the inconscient. He wanted to correct it there. And that is the mystery of the withdrawal of Sri Aurobindo, the 5th December, the sacrifice. And it is described in Savitri also, Lo, it is finished, the dread mysterious sacrifice of God, martyr's body in the world. Because by that, he could open the way. Many people ask this question. Are sure window withdrew on 5th December? Uh, they don't even know many times. He has withdrawn. So where is the hope for us? My answer is because he withdrew like this. Therefore there is hope for us. Christ from his cross humanized Europe. And sure window through his under inverted commas death or passing away. He opened the doors and possibility of divinized life for us. So that's why he is describing that tax of night is there. It doesn't leave you. Around me, around my way, the titan forces press. It is true, you see, in many levels you can look at it. Around my way, the titan forces press. This earth is theirs. They hold the days... In fee. Why it is there? Because it has emerged from the inconscient. It's not that it has been gifted to them on a platter. 
Sivabinda speaks of that in essays on the Gita that while peace is good, harmony is good, apostles of peace, love, harmony should be there. But the debt of Rudra has to be paid before the law of Vishnu can prevail. And he says that Rudra forces still hold this earth in the hollow of grip of their hands. So how does the Rudra forces came into play? Rudra, a violent forces, turbulent forces. Look at how the planetary systems have emerged. What tremendous forces must have gone to create not only the Big Bang, but after that so many events, apparently you like throw away all kinds of balls swinging around and they clash and come out. All these are Rudra forces. Violent upheavals in the oceans and through all this Himalaya, just imagine crash of India, India with with Asia, continental drifts, tectonic plates, these are all Rudra forces. So now because of that life has managed to emerge. Somewhere they got, gave a push in matter to life which was imprisoned and suddenly life broke through. So now Rudra forces says, this is mine, give me, I also want to enjoy. So how will the Rudra forces manifest? Through war, through battles. And in India, because this was understood. Therefore, they didn't just uh, preach an ideal of Ahinsa for all. Yes, Ahinsa. Ahinsa is an inner state. No hatred, nothing. But for the Kshatriya, the ideal was war. But war, which is, because these Rudra forces also want, they have to be, they have to be changed, transformed. So the warring instinct, the first step towards transformation is that you use this for the true, for the right, for the noble, courageously. And then the next step is, as the mother says in, in that uh, a dream, that man's warring instinct will be used for the battle inside, which is with our own ego and desire. So these Rudra forces still hold man. And then Rudra, Kali, Kali has manifested and she also governs the earth nature. So all these forces are there and they hold this earth. But there is something still deeper. Doom, her unjust accountant, keeps the role. And what does the inconscient power ask? It says, I want everything. Then you go. Give your body, mind, life, then you go. That's what ultimately death, doom. But this rule must change. It is changing. That's what the mother says. No, I want even the body to escape from the law of death. Whatever be the tax, what, what, what can you, what is the ultimate, the, the, the abyss can ask? Infinite. Who can pay it? Only the infinite. Infinite above. Divine love that can fill the abyss. Tax of night. Remember every time there is pain and suffering. Tax of night. And <laughs> and it is unjust. There is no justice that there. The only justice is you are going beyond our realm. We don't let that happen. As long as you live in a ISIS governed territory or you know uh, you follow their law and you uh, you agree to that way of life, you enjoy. 
the day you revolt against it see what happens next all that neat world wealthy money that will collapse you will be <laughs> that's what happened some of these people who had to finally escape so it is the tax of night you obey the night it takes care of you you want to escape from the night pay the tax around my way the titan forces press this earth is theirs they hold the days in fee all these forces that have shaped the asuras came first because they have needed the earth when earth needed very violent energies the gods come later they have a simpler task after you have broken the stones out of the rocks then the gods have to make nice temples so that's why shivita says both were required in fact he says none could have been spared in the earth's evolution but yes instead of fighting they must join hands for something beautiful to emerge i am full of wounds and the fight merciless is it not yet thy hour of victory so he says so many wounds have come who gave him the wounds shobindo is omnipotent we turn to him and he would cure others and help others and change their destiny how could he receive wounds where which is your weak spot <laughs> it is those whom you love for the divine also for the creator he loves creation and those who claim to love him the bhaktas so that's the weak spot and the mother says that when these asuras they see they cannot touch me they try to harass and trouble all those who love me especially the bhaktas because they say if we torture then she will be troubled that's how shri krishna says i take their suffering if we torture then he will be tortured because otherwise he is beyond above and yes he comes into the play and gives them a nice big blow that's a different thing altogether but i am full of wounds and the fight merciless is it not yet thy hour of victory that's what he is asking this is of course all before 50 56 we can say that the first step of the victory was established and in 62 we can say that the next radical step of the victory was established and in 69 we can say a definitive victory was established in 62 it's a definitive victory in 69 the fruits of that victory begin to emerge and in 72 we can say that the future of the earth has been completely secured so at the end when we face all these and almost they they have one has to pass through it is the law of the way he he writes in savitri very clearly even the children and soldiers of light must come under their dangerous arches so you have to go through this heroes and soldiers casting a javelin regard in front the eyes ready to scout the hand to smite and courage their armor faith their sword they must pass courage is the armor that means no fear and faith their sword they must pass children and soldiers of the armies of light so surrender to the divine mother and go through it without fear 
So that's what Shubindu is teaching us. That's what he is doing. Even as thou wilt, what's still to fate, thou owest. What does creators owe to the fate? A mutual debt binds earth to the supreme. So he owes, earth has agreed to transform to for the great act, for the great drama, for the great play. So he has to, in return, plunge himself completely in matter, in earth and all that supports it and change it. So he has to go through that fight, not for anybody else, but for this creation. He could have very easily, Shubhita would have come out of all this and lived in that state of trance which so-called yogis speak as the highest, but he went beyond it. That is the great sacrifice of the avatar. Even as thou wilt, what still to fate thou owest. O ancient of the worlds, thou knowest, thou knowest. So even in the fight, there is that complete faith, courage and surrender to the divine. And then one goes through the tax of the night, goes through the battle. Even then, even an apparent failure and fall opens the way for a future victory. Not that one should fight for failure and fall, but even an apparent failure and fall opens the way to a future and decisive victory. Namaste.